Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Yeah, it is a good morning because we're together. It's been a long time since I've been behind this mic, and I know this sounds corny, but I'm asking you to take it with all the sincerity. I've missed you. I've missed the opportunity to share thoughts, um, to respond to some of the lovely notes I receive, and to kind of feel the safe place that we have created by caring about the same things, celebrating our shared values, our shared hopes, our shared morality. And in that vein, I'd like to say good morning, good evening to our good friends listening in from the United States at this time, whether you're listening from the West Coast or the East Coast. Boker Tov, Eretz Yisrael. Let's pray for a good day, a decisive day, a kind day. Hi, Canada. You're listening in this morning. Australia is with us. The Netherlands, Nigeria. Germany is with us, as is Austria. And as soon as anybody else joins our little morning coffee clutch or nighttime uh, wine tasting, I will call it out. Um, Thank God I've returned from what felt like, certainly before I left, a very long visit to South Africa. And I must confess, I was planning on doing the show from South Africa. Made a lot of discoveries. When I'm not in Israel, I'm really not anywhere. There's something about living here. Emphasis on the word life. Chaim living in Israel that feels very discordant, unrooted, um, frightened. Now, isn't that funny? People say, but you're at war, Andrea. Isn't it scary there? Um, Yeah, no. No. It's scary not to know who you are and to be loose and to be, you know, you remember those who will listen regularly, that time that I was walking around Europe, unable to return to Eretz Israel. That was scary. But to be home, surrounded by mine, immersed in God's bracha, blessing, when I'm outside of Israel, I have to work too hard for that. And so in conducting ourselves and doing family business, um, there was a lot of work for me to do outside during this visit. I chose not to do the show. Had wonderful, wonderful Shabbosim, two beautiful Shabboses that I spent in South Africa, in actually the city of Johannesburg. Um, I attended for two weeks in a row the Sabbath services at the Santin Shul. Um, I, I think the Santin Shul, it's in, well, Santin, but the neighborhood I think is called Morningside. It was just lovely. Like all over the rest of the world, where being Jewish is very tenuous these days, um, I had to pre-register, I had to bring my passport. A very unusual experience for an Israeli I mean, there's something about Israeli cockiness. You know, we think we own it. And to have to stand and be questioned. And I remember the first Shabbos of this particular trip, I went there. And the security guard, my gosh, he was wearing like M. He was like old, looked like a Schwarzenegger film. And um, he asked me what the rabbi's name was. And I didn't know. And um, later, the following Shabbos, when I met the rabbi, I vowed never to... uh, Forget his name, Rabbi Shaw. Rabbi Shaw, in case you're ever trying to get to shul on Shabbos. Um, I met beautiful members of the community, and um, I had offered, I must admit, 
I don't see anybody listening in this morning from South Africa, but they will be on later, I know. Um, I had written before, because I'm a, I'm a frequent visitor, I offered to give a speech to the women's organization while I was there. I know we have so many listeners from the South African uh, communities, and I never received a response. So, you know, I said, listen, they, they have their talkers, their, their speakers, their guests. But when I got there, uh, I was sort of besieged by a couple of gals that I know from my frequent visits and said, well, why don't you address the women's group? And I said, well, I offered and nobody had heard. And I was invited to speak actually suddenly off the cuff the second afternoon. Um, however, I was obligated uh, to be a Sabbath guest. But please, God, next time I visit, you will hear from me all about what it's like to be a mommy in Israel, a woman in Israel. And what I found most fascinating is everybody wants to know a lot about Israel News Talk Radio. Happy, happy to share. One of the things that was most enlightening, and um, I view with great kindness, had two little incidents in South Africa. I was asked frequently while I was there, am I sensing the anti-Semitism? Because there's a lot of documented Jew hatred. Let's call it a lot of things. We could say, oh, it's you know, anti-Israel sentiment. Uh, nobody likes to say it's kill the Jews stuff. But apparently there is a lot of it. I must confess, I didn't see it. Once, just once, I went into actually downtown Johannesburg, Johannesburg proper, which is not like any metropolis that... Um, that many of us listening in have seen. I mean, I've been to cities in the world and really the capitals are just so bustling and alive, although Pretoria is actually the capital. I don't, I've never been to Pretoria. But Johannesburg as a main hub of South Africa is a ghost town. It's a ghost town. It's shuttered up. Um what you do see on the street are not sophisticated men and women walking with attache cases and that New York swagger. No, instead you see examples of the most abject poverty and sadness and really dereliction. And um, it's a place that's avoided by many. However, they have a magnificent science museum. In downtown Johannesburg, I do believe it's part of the university. Um, and the reason I say that is the snobbism. It was unlike so many other um, amenities that exist in South Africa, which sadly have become so run down and so shabby and so unworkable. This science museum, I think it's a children's science museum, museum was top draw. As I say on every show, if you want more information, I don't have it in front of me. I'll send you the name of this science museum. Write to me, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'll send you the data. Top draw, professionally done. And what was so lovely about it, it was during the school vacation, and uh, kids are all off school for the winter holidays. We know what we're really saying. The winter holidays. Have a happy holiday. Enjoy your holiday season. Um, and there were people from all walks of life. And what was so lovely was the blanket devotion of the parents taking children to a science museum to learn about dinosaurs and electricity and building and motors and the human body, it was staggering, and it was a very unusual, unusual, excuse me, but welcome respite during a visit where we were very, very hidden. So one of the things that alarmed me were two, two, two meetings I had. There was one woman during Shabbos, um, very informed gal, older woman, loves Israel loves this radio station, loves the South African 101 point something nine, I think, um, high FM station. She's really a, a devoted yid, a, really a 
a wonderful member of our community. And she looked at me with abject terror and she said, Andrea, but what's going to be the outcome of this war? Are we going to win? And I was confused for a moment. I, I couldn't compute the question. And the reason I couldn't compute the question is my faith is not subjective. My faith is halacha, Jewish law. And it's hard for me sometimes to spend time with Jews who observe the mitzvot, observe the commandments, and we know the commandments are indeed opportunities. And yet, subject themselves to the whims, thoughts, air vibes of pundits who do not have HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, front and center of their existence. There is no, are we going to win? God said, God promised, I believe we do. I don't have Nehuah, the gift of prophecy, although I am a Jewish woman, I have some prophecy. I was even asked, when will it be over? <laughs> I kept looking over my shoulder to see whom they were speaking with. But of course, of course, we will prevail. We pre will prevail in holiness and clarity. And yes, the prices that are being extracted every single day hurt us, wound us so deeply in our supra-humanity. But will we win? is not a phrase we utter. And then I had another meeting with really a dear friend. Let me take a sip of water. Okay, we keep it real. Hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you for your patience. I had another meeting with a friend who... Um, was very, very angry. He was very angry. His relationship with, with God, he felt, was compromised. His hatred of the Israeli government and the leaders uh, keeps him up at night. He can barely think when he thinks back to October 7th. And he was going on and on about the lack of preparedness and the shock and the shame and all that stuff. All that stuff. All that very real stuff that we know will be addressed and bared and laid naked in front of us even after, after we decisively finish with this filthy vermin of an enemy and stand tall and proud and clear roaring as the lions of Judah. There will be terrible, terrible days ahead in the review and the aftermath. I don't know how that reflection is going to pan out, and I don't know how that reflection is going to affect our communal Midos and ethos. And I was at a loss for words 
because I'm not an apologist for the Israeli government. I'm an apologist for anyone. But I have an answer for my friend today. Do any of us listening in, do any of us who care about Israel and love Israel, do any of us think that as an individual, our hearts, our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams are anything more than a drop into all of the waters of the seven seas? The answer is obviously, of course not. I often make a joke at my Sabbath table as I'm spewing brilliance and saying, this is what should happen and this is what should happen. And then I said, but of course, nobody from the nobody from the Knesset called and asked me to speak or asked Andrea to opine. But I ask all of us listening in, what harm will come from sitting upon your rage Quelching your sadness, adopting a can-do, will-do, must-do attitude. Then, and only then, will the hand-wringing stop and maybe some of that positivity will become contagious and spread to the next guy because you know what? Anger rage, sadness, finger-pointing. Oh, much more powerful. Much more powerful. The great Ruthie Bloom, writer, editor, pundit. She made a statement about two weeks ago. And her statement was, Israel doesn't have a right to exist. It has a duty to exist. Let's stop being defensive. Let's stop being frightened. Let's stop wringing our hands. Nobody's wowed by you in your humility. We have an opportunity to reframe our sadness, to reframe our fears to reframe our position as the weak, fledgling, shaking, quaking Jew of their beloved Nazi literature. Good morning, Panama and Mozambique have joined us this morning. We're an extraordinary people to sit and give any credence at this moment today to what went wrong on the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, the 9th. Not only is it an act, if it only were an act of futility. Okay, an act of futility. Nothing gained, nothing lost. Oh no, so much can be lost. If you want to be upbeat, if you want to increase your Israel intelligence, watch the videos that nourish you, that inform you, that fulfill you. The woman who asked me, will Israel win, is getting her news from the South African press and Ma'ariv and the Washington Post and the Boston Globe and the New York Times. Not our friends. Rags that base salaries on advertising revenue. CNN should tell me about the heroes that dwell in my midst? CNN does not know. Not knowing? A little bit of a crime. Not caring? 
deliberately deceitful, deliberately manipulative, manipulative, much worse. Saw a video this week. Many of you listening, I hope I'm not being redundant, have seen the same video. A Haredi soldier. A soldier. Haredi. Forgive the ugly translation. Ultra-Orthodox. Tongue-in-cheek. Let's pray for better days when I can laugh at that stuff. Surprises his father, who is sitting in the study house, the base medrash. Long white beard, glasses on the tip of his nose. Learning, learning, learning. And the boy is standing there with his black kippah, his yarmulke, and his soldier's garb, and his rifle slung over his shoulder. And the father looks up. And we, the viewer, cannot help but hold our breath as the father starts muttering, Lo mami, lo mami, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And he throws himself, hugging his son, who's a head taller than him. And he proclaims, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. He cannot stop hugging his beloved son. And he looks at him. And what does he say? Not your back. Not, I can't believe you're here. Not, Let's go get a slice of pizza. He says, Hakol Shalem. Hakol Shalem. You're whole. You're in its entirety. Is he saying you have every finger on your hand and every toe on your feet and your nose is still attached and your ear hasn't been blown off? Looking in his son's face. He sees his son is Shalem. He's still his son. He is still an observant Jew. He is still a Ben Yisrael, a son of Israel. His Haredi son is brothers with my non-Haredi sons. He's a brother too and son of Ethiopians, Litvakim, Mizrachim, Ashkenazim, Sephardim, Americans, Canadians, South Africans, a superhuman Ben Yisrael, son of Israel. And there's so much pain. There's pain out there as we send our boys off. What my friend who was raging and said, there's so much blame to go around. I cannot deal with this government. I cannot deal with it. I say to him, get yourself a teacher. Get yourself a teacher like Iris Chaim. Who is Iris Chaim? She's the mother of Yotam Chaim. May he rest in peace. One of the three escaping hostages who was accidentally shot and killed by our beloved IDF. She wrote a letter. She recorded, sorry, a message to the soldiers who shot her son. Who are the Jews? Who are we? I'll tell you, my enemies. 
We are Iris Chaim. She said, and I quote, I am Yotam's mother. I wanted to tell you that I love you very much and I hug you from afar. I know that anything, everything that happened is absolutely not your fault and nobody's fault except that of Hamas. May their name be wiped out and their memory erased from the earth. I want you to look after yourselves and to think all the time that you are doing the best thing in the world, the best thing that could happen that could help us. Because all of the people of Israel and all of us need you healthy and don't hesitate for a second if you see a terrorist. Don't think that you killed a hostage deliberately. You have to look after yourselves because only that way can you look after us. At the first opportunity, you are invited to come to us, whoever wants to. And we want to see you with our own eyes and hug you and tell you that what you did, however hard it is to say this and sad, it was apparently the right thing at the moment. And nobody's going to judge you or be angry. Not me, not my husband, Raviv, not my daughter, Noya, and not Yotam. May his memory be blessed. And not Tuval, Yotam's brother. We love you very much. That is all. The soldiers sent her back a note and it said, we received your message. And since then, we've been able to function again. Before that, we had shut down. And she wrote back, amazing. That's all I wanted. And the next day, the opportunity came and the soldier who shot her son dead, visited her, and she repeated that message. The same message that Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph the Righteous, said to his brothers, don't be distressed or reproach yourself. Don't let anyone, don't let any news source, don't let anyone without skin in the game, boots on the ground, and a heart in Eretz Yisrael, a heart with Am Yisrael, a dream of being B'nai Yisrael, determine what your narrative is. Iris Chaim, Yotam, our holy soldiers, my son. We can take a look at our rage at governments and rage at decisions and rage at people and rage at ministers. Iris Chaim can reframe the accidental killing of her son? What is our excuse not to be upbeat, clear, and rife with emunah shalema, complete and unwavering faith? We are not victims. We are in a game of Jewish survival and Jewish eternity. Amen the amen. Um, as I mentioned, I was in South Africa. And uh, I'm not going to bore you with any other uh, comments out of the South African press. And the great... the greatest disappointment of the new South Africa called Cyril Ramaphosa, 
Oh boy, was I excited when he became elective. Oh boy, after Jacob Zuma. Yeah, not so much. South Africa, which has a, an extremely Zionist, proud Jewish community. I'm trying to think if I met anybody in South Africa who is not a Zionist. Um, can't think of one. So the community is so small now, such a non-threat, as though they were ever a threat. They were loyal citizens. I mean, we built, the Jews of South Africa built the new South Africa were the greatest champions of the anti-apartheid movement. So here's the thanks you get. South Africa threatens prosecution and revoked citizenship for any South African nationals, and you know they're talking Jews, who join the army. They issued a stark warning just this past Monday when I was there. Let's see, I returned... No, it wasn't this. It was like last Monday against civilians taking up arms with Israel. You know what it is? All those delicious boys and lovely girls who are joining the IDF and coming here for national service. Um, and officials say, this is their word, they're gravely concerned. They're not gravely concerned about the fact that there's 70% unemployment that you it's heartbreaking. You drive there and you see people doing magic tricks at red lights or dancing or beating on, a, on an overturned pail, anything to entertain the drivers for a few rands. That doesn't concern them. They're very gravely concerned by reports that the country's nationals had joined the Israeli army in a war in Gaza against Hamas. And they will take away citizenship. You're breaking the law. I invite everybody in South Africa, by the way, on my flight, there were tons of you making Aliyah, God bless you. Anyway, you're all invited for Shabbos and anybody caught fighting in the army without approval could be thrown behind bars while the punishment for nationalized nationals could result in their citizenship taken away according to the country's laws. Well, I would call that a big yawn this morning. Um, another great quote. Great quote. I don't know who made this quote, but let's think of it globally. The healed version of you won't tolerate what happened to the wounded version of you. I guess we could apply that in a lot of places, but I'm thinking about Israel. Israel and Israel citizenship, the healed version of us, will no longer tolerate what happened to the wounded version of us. Okay. Um, let's see. This is a little upbeat. We want to do upbeat. But here, um, let me just save this page. See? Saving the page. If we have time, we'll come back to it later. I like it a lot. It has to do with a friend of mine um, cured himself from clinical depression. And I have to tell you, it's very, my husband and I were speaking last night at the dinner table. And I said, gee, you know, tonight I might have to take a clorazepam. It's just so many little niggling things between a son on the front line and my mother's not well. And my daughter in South Africa needs a lot of chizuk, a lot of strengthening. And we just go on and on. And our country is just, you know, it's, it's just very, the streets are empty, the situation here and the burgeoning anti-Semitism, which is based on such silliness. And I said, gee, I'm feeling just out of sorts. And he's having something going on. And we were talking about how, like, everybody's off kilter, just off kilter. So a friend of mine had written a while back about how he cured himself of clinical depression. And what's so interesting is that the rules are so... We say, you know, tamimidic, um, very, very modest rules, but they're so applicable to what's going on to so many of us. I, I have so many friends in America who are out of sorts because they're golden in Medina, the beautiful golden land that was going to be their forever home has turned on them. So one of the things that my friend refers to is Judaism's three cardinal laws of happiness and you don't have to take this down write to me i'll send it to you um don't take notes just listen from your heart you start with gratitude 
Number That's number one. Number two, you find your gift. And number three, give it away. Should I repeat that? Start with gratitude. Find your gift. Give it away. And he says that he cured himself. But I think that I'm going to actually print this out in some manner and read this every way, every day, and put it in my seat door, my prayer book, because it's no less a kind of synopsis of everything we pray for. To start each day with gratitude for everything we've been given. Mm-hmm. To recognize, but not just recognize, talk about our brachot, not our problems. Not to sit and say to my husband, this stinks, that stinks, this stinks. But to talk about the blessings of the day. To talk about how much we owe the world. I myself owe the world. Not how much I'm owed. Modeh ani lefanecha. Thank you for giving me the day, the life before me. Then after that, this is a much harder one. Find out what is our purpose in life. And it doesn't mean, you know what, today I'm going to go out. I've been thinking about it, dear listener. And I think that today I'm going to become a neurosurgeon. You don't hold your breath on that one. Not going to happen. But to really sit and say, why am I here? I'm living in Mozambique, Germany, Nigeria, Canada, Australia, the U.S., Panama, South Africa, listening into this show. Why am I here? Why? Did God give me, bless me, imbue me with this life, this life that is rife with opportunity? And the answer, the answer that all of us can come up with, whether we have the skills to be a neurosurgeon, a shepherd, a cleaning lady, a store owner. To fix a world that's broken. To fix a community that needs you. Maybe we sing. Maybe we draw. Maybe we know about taking care of children. All of us has the ability to comfort another. We're all gifted every one of us with minimally and maximally the ability to live our days with purpose. And the third gift of life, which will overcome sadness, fear, trepidation, questions of who the heck is running the Israeli government and Andrea, will we win the war? Give your gift away. Give it away. Open hands as much as you can. We're required to do what is tzedek, correct, tzedakah, to give minimally and maximally 20% of everything of who we are, what we earn, what we have. Everyone has something that makes us special and fabulous, not just to give it away. That's the easy part. But to give it away and not look back, feel liberated, feel divested of the burden of too much blessing, not think, well, what's in it for me? We all can do it. Okay, my friend D.S. Dave talks about, what did we see here? Let me see, double messages. Oh, my gosh, we're racing. We've got to get to Devar Torah soon. Oy, va, voy, va, voy. Oh, look who joined us. We have listening in Dubai, Zambia, and Sweden. I really need to stop in Zambia um, one of my trips. <laughs> but I don't have to fly direct back and forth. Okay. Brought down, you know, we're going to finish with a few acts of anger, a few acts of rage, but it's true, it's true. But anyway, double messages. You know, you people in America, you friends of Israel and Israel News Talk Radio and Jews, please, please 
just like Esther was charged by Mordechai. He said, we will, we will succeed. We will soar above our trials. The question is, what will your role be? Perhaps a hint comes through when talking about the double messages. I can't remember. It might have been December. wasn't the 7th, maybe the 14th, my brother's birthday. Um, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan came to Israel. Okay? When I was still in South Africa. And what did he say, this best friend of Israel, representative, security advisor? He'd like to see Israel and this is a quote, make a move to lower intensity fighting in Gaza. I just see us make a move. Make a move. Let me let me let me just digress from my notes. If anyone, any of those pro-Palestinian marchers, the know-nothing freaks, a massive percentage of whom would be thrown off buildings and whatever's left in Gaza City because of their aberrant lifestyles. If any of them took a moment to actually know what they were talking about, they would shudder in shame from their stupidity and understanding the only reason they, get a, they have a right to protest against Israel it's because Israel does for its citizens what every citizen of the world has a right to expect of their government. Imagine, imagine Canada under siege by enemies determined to wipe out the life of every Ottawan, every Torontonian, everyone from Winnipeg, reduce you to dust, decimate everything that you've worked for and love and believe in. What would your expectations be of the Trudeau government? Why do you expect less of Israel? We should lower our lower the intensity of our fighting, Jake Sullivan. We shouldn't advance as far as we are and need to go further? No. With American moxie, with chutzpah, with the arrogance of those who know nothing but deem out advice like it's water, we're being told to wrap it up. Wrap it up by the end of January. And at the same vein, well, wrap it up. So if we honor that, I guess we'd have to step up the intensity, but lower the test intensity. You know what happens if we have to wrap it up by January and lower the intensity? America. Make a decision. It's you that are speaking out both sides of your mouth. If you back us, Back us. Just as you try to placate both sides, this isn't a playground fight. This isn't a war of na 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 na. Statements like this are repulsive. Political correctness, examples of the worst kind of feckless pandering that exists. But forgive me. You've mastered it. You're the everybody gets a prize society. If only in the world of would, could, and should, you were able to say, go, soar, complete yourselves this battle between good and evil. You have no choice but victory. Use everyone and everything at your disposal and we will help you. No strings attached. We. The most humane army 
to walk the face of the earth? Oh, you? The art of tying our hands back? We don't need you to tell us to retain a higher standard than all of the countries that impose your feckless, stupid standards upon us. We know about a higher standard. You couldn't come close to imitating Israel in our morality, our reason, and our unity. Really, put up or shut up. Um, what time? Oh my, clock is ticking. Okay, let's let's go to a good note. Let's go into Devar Torah. Um, oh, last week, I think it was last week, the British journalist, oh, I adore him, renowned British journalist, Douglas Murray. If you don't know who he is, if you haven't followed him, check him out. Okay? Um, he spoke last week in Tel Aviv. It's interesting. I think the place he's spoken was called the Cathedral. It looked like a church. I Googled it. It's some kind of like a hot bar, <laughs> like a bar in a meeting place. But anyway, he last week shared some candid observations. For those in the know, just look up Douglas Murray. Check him out. Check out his interview. I can't even remember where. Um, his views on the Gaza war and one of the things he said which is so consistently torah is you know he's asked why are you so passionate about israel why are you so passionate this was the one question i mean it's like a 90 page interview i read but i'm just going to give you one glimpse he says why do you care and what he says is i don't like lies that's one thing i don't like lies in particular when they're huge lies being told in front of my face and i think there's a lot of lies being told about this conflict this region i've seen them all my life and in multiple conflicts involving Israel, it's the same this time. Always falls into the same pattern. The Israelis are accused of doing things they haven't done, and Israel's opponents are said not to have done things that they have done. And it's very important to be able to see firsthand on the ground what happened. Um, my gosh. Well, isn't that complex? Love it. Good morning, South America. Listening in a podcast. I had a lot to say about you this morning. Um, so before we go to Dvar Torah, just this one local, adorable, those of you listening in from the Seattle area, you have a high school there called Crosspoint. I think it's a Christian school. Not sure if it's Catholic, it's Christian. And there was a basketball game playing against Jewish high school, a Jewish high school. Maybe it was covered on the station. I've been kind of out of the loop. But I just loved this in a time when Jews are so nervous about being Jewish, so nervous about being publicly outed, so sheepish. I think it was an away game, and they greeted their Jewish, the, the opposing Jewish team. They greeted them with an Israeli flag and the singing of Hatikva, Israel's national anthem. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Did you get the chills? Okay. So let me go through all these notes. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, boy. You know what? I'm trying to do three weeks of shows in one week, and it's not quite working. I wanted to talk about. Okay. So let's go here. Let's get into Parsha. What time? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So this week's Torah portion, Vayechi, oh man, I have to tell you, I thank all of you. By not doing the show the last two weeks, I learned a lot of Torah. I listened to a lot of Shiorim. I read a lot of booklets by um, Rabbi Avigdor Miller Zatzal, and I have to tell you, it was very, very eye-opening and... Um, I don't know how I'm going to get to all the subscriptions that I have filed for on your <laughs> on your cheshbon, in your merit, since I was away. So the bulk of this week's Parsha, Torah portion, is devoted to the events surrounding the death of Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu, Jacob our father. And so the most prominent 
among these events are the blessings that he bestowed, that Yaakov bestowed upon his children. Now, right before his death, Yaakov, he summons his sons. And most likely, I believe, I do believe it was his uh, grandchildren as well. And he summons them all to his bedside. And it's at this moment in the narrative that Yaakov is prepared to to utilize the powers of nevuah, prophecy, a very important word, and to disclose to them the events, everything that's going to be transpire, as we say in Hebrew, in the Torah, the language of the Tanakh, ba'acharit hayamim, in the end of days. Now, according to virtually all of the commentators, this phrase, ba'acharit hayamim, refers to the messianic era. And Yaakov's specific reference later to, in his blessings, to the ultimate uh, Yavo Shiloh, the coming of Shiloh, is commonly regarded as this primary source in the Torah for God's promise of eventual redemption. You know, all of us listening in, we all love the idea of prophecy. Um, Every year around this time in the secular press, we're treated to Notre Dame's um, you know, Notre Dame's prediction for what's going to happen in this upcoming year. Many of us read our horoscopes, something that is absolutely forbidden uh, by Jewish by Jewish law. So, but we can't resist it. Like my friend said to me, "Well, when will the war end?" And I felt sheepish. I I, I can't answer that. Will it end? Of course. Rashi describes in his well-known interpretation that at this point that Yaakov is about to make his messianic predictions. All of us are sitting at the end of our synagogue seats. Quote, the divine presence departed from him and he was no longer able to announce his revelations. Now, maybe it's stated in the Midrash Bereshit, God feared. He feared that the coming generations would despair in the knowledge that the predicted time, the death, not predicted, destined time of our ultimate redemption was still so far in the future. So in, in any event, and for whatever reason, Yaakov was not allowed to exactly reveal the details of the Geula, the redemption. B'nai Yisrael, we were denied knowledge of that timeline for the coming of Moshiach. And a careful review of the text um, strongly indicates, I think, my opinion, that Yaakov did manage to direct, if not, you know, the timetable, at least the steps which Yaakov knew B'nai Yisrael would have to take in bringing about the coming of the Moshiach. Understand, in our times, we have also been blessed and privileged, privileged to witness clear signs of the commencement of the Messianic era. Certainly, don't I wish we could know, don't I wish we had that timeline I don't think it would be such a blessing. Somehow we would abuse it. You know, sadly, especially in the light of Yaakov's, um, Yaakov's, you know, begging, we continue. We just continue to be beset by personal, political, religious divisions, the divisions among us. Assimilation. Estrangement from Jewish causes, separation from our time-proven values. It's it, 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 it's it's epidemic. I mean, can anyone imagine that this is the setting which Yaakov visualized as a condition, precedent, that this was the precedent? 
fulfillment of our messianic destiny? I don't know. But you know what? I think yes. Rabbi Miller brings down, for those of us paying close attention to the war, close attention to the unquestionable success of the Israeli army, but most prevalent Israeli peoplehood. We all know, we all know that a snake is the most abhorred creature, one of the most abhorred. Some people even feel like vomiting when they see a serpent. The wolf and the lion, they're dangerous. Anybody ever go on safari in South Africa and watch a kill? It's, it's breathtaking and terrifying. They kill and eat other animals and even human beings sometimes. We don't see them as soft and cuddly. And yet when we read about how Yaakov Avinu sat up on his deathbed in order to bless his sons and to guide them for the last time, we note that he refers to these animals when comparing the Shvatim, the tribes, he says, Yehuda is a young lion. Now, a, young, a lion is not kind-hearted. It's not humble. And yet, Yaakov Avinu prefers to see Yehuda as a lion. Gur Ariyeh, he should be a lion. And then there's Binyamin, the beloved tribe of Binyamin. What does Yaakov wish upon? The tribe of Binyamin? Binyamin should be a wolf. A wolf is not a complimentary title, you know. If you ask about a match for your daughter and you're told that the boy, is, he's, he's like a wolf, well, you can kiss that shit goodbye. Would we ever say that a tzaddik, a righteous man, should be like a wolf? No, of course. But Yaakov does say that because not only a wolf, but a hungry wolf that tears at its prey and Dan, Dan is called a poisonous serpent. You should be like a poisonous serpent lying on the road, a snake. If a man would describe his neighbor to you and say, you know my neighbor Dan, he's a poisonous serpent, you would get a, quite the picture of him, wouldn't you? But here we find the righteous ones being praised with these models. It's right there, it's inside the Chomash. They're compared to wild, fierce animals. He never compares them to lambs, to sheep. We know that Am Yisrael is compared to tzon, to sheep. You are my flock. Oh yeah, all the good qualities of a sheep we have to have. Quiet, humble, submissive. Absolutely. But it's not enough. It's not enough, boys and girls. Yaakov Avinu is looking for more in the Shvatim. He wants snakes and lions and wolves because the truth is that even these wild animals, as much as we might be impressed by their strength and fierceness and courage, when they see danger, they prefer to hide. A lion will move over to the side. He won't show himself. Snakes don't want people to be in their path. They avoid people. The wolf? He's not standing in the middle of the road. Oh. But when you come too close to them, then their nature asserts itself. If you step on a snake, that's something else. If you try to pet a lion or tickle a wolf, oh, he will defend himself. You will get at best bitten, but otherwise even these powerful animals use their power selectively, judiciously. It means they don't become dangerous for nothing. It's not rash and impetuous and unbridled strength. By instinct, these animals are, are discriminating and they're dangerous. 
Yaakov recognizes the different personalities, qualities, and talents of each of his children and his grandchildren. His blessings, his blessings that he gives to his children, they're diverse and they're recorded for us in this week's reading. He has no one-size-fits-all blessings to bestow. And it is perhaps this fact that guarantees that as long as we, his descendants, are alive, Yaakov lives. Rabbi, the Rebbe of Kotsk says, if I am I and you are you, then I am I and you are you. But if I am you and you are me, then I am not I and you are not you. The blessings of Yaakov to his future generations reflect the wisdom of this truism. Shabbat Shalom, Umevorach, from Jerusalem. <laughs>